Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Millie is off this week. We are rolling right along here in the college baseball season. We, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the start of ACC play, the start of Pac-12 play, and that was really exciting last weekend. Got, got some fun series in uh, on both ends of the country. And then this weekend, we've got the start of SEC play. I'm going to be in Gainesville. Well, I am in Gainesville right now for uh, for the start of that. They've got Alabama uh, here playing against Florida. We also have the start of Big 12 play. Kind of a soft opening. Not the whole Big 12 is into conference play, but a few exciting series. You've got some uh, other leagues like the Sun Belt getting going. We're really we're really chugging along in this thing and uh, you know getting to. Uh, Getting into the fun part of the season, Peter, at least the part that I enjoy the most uh, with, with conference play. I like non-conference play. You get some exciting matchups. You know, you get your your Vanderbilt and UCLA. You get your tournaments. But you know what I really like is uh, is when when we get conference play going. You get teams playing more similar opponents. Uh, you get you know schedules start to make sense. You, know, you don't have. Uh, one team playing so much harder a schedule than the other. And and you have some of these really fun uh, rivalry series or just like normal th- things that f- familiar foes, uh, I guess is the, the best way to say it. And uh, you know, that's uh, that's a part of college athletics that I just really like in general. But uh, it's a it's a fun time of year for for college baseball. And that is the only college sport going on this week. Uh, I don't know anything else that, that's happening here in the month of March. I think it's just college baseball. Yeah, there might be a little bit of college lax going on, but I, I, I'm with you. This is kind of the most fun time of year and when things really start to move at what feels like a, a breakneck pace. Um, like you said, you've got these really fun rivalry series across the country. Um, and you can kind of tell pretty fast which of these teams that are off to fast starts are for real. Um, I don't think we need ACC play or Big 12 play to tell that teams like Wake Forest, Louisville, and Oklahoma State, and UVA, teams like that are for real. But teams like Boston College, um, Florida State has been scuffling lately. North Carolina State can put in that bucket too. So we'll be able to find out pretty fast which of these teams are for real and then which may have just kind of been a flash in the pan thanks to some soft scheduling at the start of the year. So – ACC play started last week, uh, like I mentioned, and it really got off to a, a like a th- there were some big series right right off the bat. You had you know Virginia going down to 
to UNC and Virginia was uh, was undefeated and NC State also was undefeated going into conference play. They went down to Miami. Um, and uh, you know, so th- those were, were two really exciting series. Miami gets off the mat after losing a series at Florida to beat NC State, take the first two games, knock Miami from the undefeated ranks right away and then go out and, and win the series. And that was a big series win for Miami. NC State, meanwhile, uh, you know, tough road test, but they, uh, they they were not up to the task uh, in the immediate. And you know, we can get into what that means there. But NC State's loss combined with Alabama losing to Columbia on Friday night meant that UVA was the last undefeated team in the country. They ran that start out to 14-0 before losing the second game of a doubleheader Saturday uh, to UNC and Peter, that's where I want to start with, uh, you know, some of this looking at what we learned from the ACC and opening weekend is uh, UVA really looks really good. Uh, coming into the year, I, I knew they were going to hit, uh, you know, they have Kyle Teal and, and Geloff and uh, that those exciting freshmen a year ago are now sophomores like Griffo Farrell and um, they, they just have a, a, a really strong lineup. But what we weren't sure about was the pitching staff because so many guys from last year moved on and they had, they really had to rebuild, but they went into UNC and they really handled business. And, you know, I, I just was really impressed, have been impressed all season by what, what UVA has done, but playing UNC on the road, holding them down offensively for, for two games, especially, but you know, they only gave up 13 runs on the weekend. That was really loud to me. And I just feel like if UVA is going to keep pitching like this, and I think that they've hit on something. They've found some starters that they like, but I really like what they're doing in the bullpen. Jake Barry has uh, been locked down at the back end. They also have Jake Wolfhook they can call on. They, they have they have some big relievers out there that they can can turn to. Uh, it, it just seems like the the Who's really have something cooking. Yeah, I was going to say I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that they are one of, if not the most complete team maybe in the country that might be a lofty statement, but I, I, they can absolutely go toe to toe with everyone. Um, and last week was a big test for them because they, there was a lot of chatter about, Oh, they had a soft schedule. They haven't really played anyone yet. And they kind of go right into the fire with a road series at UNC, a ranked opponent, another team that I think is a very quality club and will be in that hosting discussion up until the end. So it was a really good litmus test for them early on. And I think that they passed with flying colors they won that first game on Friday, seven to three. They were in control for that for the duration of that one. Um, same thing with Saturday when they doubled them up eight to four. They did lose the set the second game of the doubleheader, but really a series win was all that they they kind of needed down there. Um, and like you said, it's they're hitting three fifty six as a team. There isn't really a soft spot in that lineup. We were kind of expecting Teal and Geloff to 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 kind of do what they're doing. Teal especially has been a little bit of a I think a surprise with the start he's gotten off to. We were kind of waiting for freshman Kyle Teal to to come back after his down year last year, and and he's done that and some. Um, but like you said, that good crop of freshmen from last year, Ethan Anderson, Griffo Farrell, and Saki, um, they've just continued to produce even more. And then you've got a couple of true freshmen this year. Henry Godbout's been great, and then Northwestern transfer Ethan O'Donnell has been really good. And kind of the biggest question mark was the pitching. They brought in a couple of transfers, Conley Early, uh, Nick Parker from Coastal. And it was kind of 
figuring out where all of these pieces fit in kind of where Coach O'Connor was going to plug and play all of these guys and if there were going to be any growing pains doing that. And Conley Early has been their midweek guy, and he's been outstanding. And then they've they've got a great one-two punch on weekends with Nick Parker and, and Jack O'Connor, a true freshman. Um, they've been great. And, and like you said, Jake Berry out of the bullpen has been outstanding. He's been lights out for 14 innings. 17 Ks comes at you from a really tough angle at 610. So this is going to be a tough team to beat, you know, two out of three times during ACC play. And then especially when you, you start to look ahead into a regional format, super regional format, which teams are kind of built for a long haul and a sustainable run at this thing is, and I, and I think UVA fits, fits right up at the top with anybody when starting that discussion. Their offense stacks up against anyone. So like, I don't even care if we're talking about LSU and Florida at this point. Like I, I, that's how strongly I feel about, about their, their, their lineup and they defend very well. If they like, they don't even need to keep pitching as well as they have. I feel like because a, the lineup is that good, but like, at least from a, a starting pitching standpoint, I, they don't need their rotation to be the best in the ACC or in the country or anything like, like they have, they have the bullpen and you know, Brian O'Connor has said that he, you know, there was a lot of expectation in the fall that Jake Barry was going to move into the rotation. But uh, basically O'Connor said that he kind of just wanted to build from the back that he wanted to have experience in the bullpen. And so you get that with Barry and Wolfuck and what that does is it really shortens games and, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that strategy. If uh, if the rotation's able to keep up what they're doing, uh, you know, I, I think Virginia is going to be really tough to beat. The ACC is is very deep this year, uh, as it as it often is. And UVA has another tough one this weekend when they go to uh, to NC State, uh, another potent offense that they're going to be facing. But I uh, I really like what what UVA has uh, has to offer there. I agree, and and I. I, I looked up a stat quick, and and they're the only team in the country right now that's top ten in team batting average. They're hitting three fifty six, which is good for second in the country, and their pitching has a compiled an ERA of two point seven four, which is good for ninth in the country. And like you said, and I thought it was a great point, was that they really they can they're fine getting into a shootout with a team with the offense that they've got, and then they're more than comfortable also getting into kind of a chess match on the pitcher's mound with, with the guys that they've got. And with, with Wolf Oak and Barry, if they can get into the sixth or seventh inning with a lead, then the way they've been throwing the ball, it's, it's kind of just been lights out for the other team. So I'm really curious to see how they do against an ACC. That's like you said, is, is really strong. So there'll be a lot of fun series on the horizon for the, for the Cavaliers. Uh, Another big item that we learned last week was that, Boston College is uh, potentially for real. <laughs> they're uh, they're now twelve and two. They last week, I, I guess we talked about them beating Tennessee in the midweek game. Well, then they build on that by going to Virginia Tech. They won a series against the Hokies. Uh, they lost on Friday night, thirteen to three. Bounce back to win a doubleheader on Saturday. Sweep the doubleheader on Saturday, and. They they walk out of Blacksburg with a series win, something that the only team that beat 
Virginia Tech at, you know, in, in Blacksburg last year that won a series in Blacksburg last year was Oklahoma in Super Regionals. And here BC is doing it on the first weekend of, of ACC play. And that's a that's a Virginia Tech team that came into the season ranked in the top 15 that I felt like had Omaha upside, still kind of do feel like they have Omaha upside. Uh, so BC with a really, really loud four in one week, uh, they're off to the best start in program history. They moved into the the top 25 for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, it's 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 an exciting time for bird ball. Uh, it, it's been a tough couple seasons for, for BC, uh, but they they look like they really have something this year. And I'm going to have a lot more that I, that you can read on the website about Boston College. Hopefully by the time that you're listening to this podcast, so that'll be published. But Peter, I know you probably have some thoughts that you want to get out about BC. So uh, how, how, how much are you buying bird ball, I guess, at this point? After last weekend, I, I think it's hard for anyone not to be, I don't want to say all in, but at least not to be a believer that this can be a regional team and a, a really competitive team throughout all of ACC play. And, you know, after last weekend, after last week's Tennessee victory, um, which was obviously very loud winning at Tennessee, I was intrigued, but I also saw what they had on the horizon and it very well could have been a one-off kind of 10 inning win. They, they made all of the right plays they had to with that, you know, defensive alignment in the outfield and, and cutting down the winning run at the plate. And so I kind of wanted to see how they reacted with both playing at UNC Asheville the next day. Um, and then especially in Blacksburg. And then they, they passed with flying colors. They could have easily after that Friday drubbing that 13 to three loss, they could have, very well rolled over and, and gotten swept or, or lost two out of three. And that's, I think, something a team, their team last year would have done and maybe even the year before would have done. But they play really hard for all nine innings. They might not have names, especially on the pitching staff, that really jump out at the average fan as kind of prospecty. but they throw strikes. They command the ball really well. Um, offensively, what's what's kind of crazy is, is Travis Honeyman – um, for those listening, he's their premier draft prospect and probably a top three round selection. He hasn't really even gotten off to a, an unbelievable start. He's barreling the ball consistently, but the stats are modest. He's hitting 283 with one home run, um, which is good. But the expectation for Honeyman was, um, you know, a lot higher. And I've he's a great player, so he'll get going. But I'm they've got a tough stretch coming up. Uh, this series at Florida State again is is kind of a every series for them in ACC play will be essentially looked at as kind of a prove it series, just given their, I guess, lack of track record of success. But they've got a tough schedule coming up with FSU and then a midweek at Northeastern, who's a great program. And then they play NC State next week before another home series against Georgia Tech. So I'm absolutely buying bird ball. And it's a team that clearly has a lot of chemistry, too. Um, and they love playing with each other, which I think is an intangible quality that is something that a team needs when they're kind of on the ropes or, you know, kind of going through a rough patch. So I'm, I'm all in on BC until they prove me otherwise. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that has yet to play a home game. They had a home opener scheduled for Tuesday and it got snowed out, I guess. Uh, they'll try again next week. But and that just adds to to the impressiveness of of the start. And I would also note that uh, 
some teams that have to go on the road early in the season play a lot of neutral site games, and I don't begrudge them for for doing that. I, I certainly understand why you might want to do that. BC has only played three neutral site games. They Of their 14 games this season, 11 have been true road games. They've gone into Knoxville. They've gone into Blacksburg. They made a cross-country trip uh, to Pepperdine. Like They've logged something like 8,000 air miles already this year. That's um, a lot of points. <laughs> it is. It is. So I, I don't know if uh, I don't know who's booking that, but I, I hope they're they're using those to the max. And so they've they've just got a lot of. It happens every year, but they're road tested already, and, and I think that might mean something. Now, one thing that they're going to have to do is keep this going. It's the middle of March. Um, there's a long way to go, but I do think that if you're looking at BC, like you are looking at a team that has shown it can compete with uh, some of the best teams in the country and that you can start reasonably asking like, is, is this team ready to go back to regionals for the first time since 2016? And I mean, right now I would say the answer is yes, but uh, obviously uh, still a couple of months to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I think that at this point, I don't think you can, like you said, they haven't played a game at home. I don't, I don't think anyone can say a 12 and two team with, a series win at, at then number 10, Virginia tech. And then number three, Tennessee is not a regional team. So they are what they are until they prove me otherwise. All right, let's uh, take a quick trip out West. Cause there were a couple of uh, very surprising results from the first weekend of PAC 12 play. And those were Oregon state uh, losing a series at home to Washington state, which is off to the best start in program history, much like BC. And then Stanford losing a series at USC. Uh, USC is just 500 now, having beaten that, beating the Cardinal uh, in a series. Stanford is 10 and 5, and there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about Stanford right now. Uh, last week on the pod, we said we weren't, and now I'm saying I am. And maybe I should have been more concerned going into this series, but I'm definitely concerned now. Notably, Oregon State and Stanford play this weekend uh, in uh, at Stanford. So one of them is going to come out at least 500 in the Pac-12 and probably feeling much better about themselves. The other one is going to have dug themselves a bit of a hole right at the outset of Pac-12 play. And these are two teams we expected to contend for the Pac-12 title. Stanford was the preseason favorites, not just by us, but also they were voted that in the preseason coaches poll. Um it's a big weekend for both of these teams. I, you know, it's not must win. There's plenty of time to dig out of any hole that they've put themselves in, but I wouldn't want to be the team that loses this weekend. No, like you said, I, I think it's a huge get right weekend for both of them. And I, and I think the loser of this is going to come out, you know, really beaten and battered. And if you want to kind of grasp at straws, Nevada knocked off Oregon state again yesterday. So if the Beavers were to lose this series, um, that's a really tough spot to be in heading into a, a tough Pac-12 schedule. But I think last weekend I was I was super surprised, especially with Stanford um, losing at USC, especially after taking game one on Friday. Um, that was probably more shocking than Washington State, who has been a really quality team thus far, uh, kind of taking it to Oregon State. But um, yeah, like, like you said, it, it's a big series for both the teams. Um, I think Oregon State might need this series win a little bit more um, than Stanford. And looking at Stanford, 
they're notorious for these slow starts, people kind of writing them off saying, okay, like, you know, what's going on here? Are they even going to host? Um, and all that. And then they just flip a switch and end up in Omaha again. So I'm going to be really wary of, of even thinking about writing off Stanford. I think that guys like Carter Graham will hopefully get going. Um, Tommy Troy, who will be out for a couple of weeks is a huge loss. He was off to four seventeen start and was the, the guy that made that offense go. So they need him back, but freshman Malcolm Moore has been great. Braden Montgomery has been a superstar, um, looking like a top 10 pick for next year. So they have the ingredients on paper. They were a team that I remember writing up this fall or I guess this winter, um, and up and down the roster, they have depth. They've just got to start performing. Um, and in, if if this year is similar to any other year, they should probably kind of hit their stride soon. But that doesn't mean that this weekend isn't an important series because if they, you know, if they lose even just two out of three, they're sitting at eleven and seven at best, um, heading into the heading into a tough stretch of their schedule. So. Like you said, this is a this has turned into a really interesting series, and kind of not for the reasons that we may have thought coming into the year. No, you might have had this series circled on your calendar, uh, but yeah, you would have expected that you were seeing like two top fifteen teams go at it or something, and not two teams that are coming off of off of series losses that we're talking about really needing to to figure something out this weekend. Stanford is really dinged up. It's not just Troy. Um, you know, they, uh, they're without Drew Bowser for a couple games. And um, it's a, there's a lot of things that aren't going right for Stanford that I feel like they can correct. Uh, but there, there's a lot of reasons why they have kind of taken a bit of a dive here and, and gotten off to such a slow start. Oregon State, it's probably even easier to diagnose. Uh, they just have stopped hitting. At the start of the season, if you look at their first seven games, they uh, they scored 81 runs. Now, that does include three games against Coppin State uh, when Oregon State scored a lot of runs. But they had scored a bunch of runs opening weekend in Arizona. The competition kind of mixed. Minnesota really bad. New Mexico seems to be much better this year. Uh, but I don't know that we know enough about the Lobos yet. And then Santa Barbara, they scored 11 on, and I feel good about that. But that was the fourth game of the weekend for them. So, you know, what what kind of arms did UCSB still have to, to throw at the Beavers at that point? So they scored a bunch of runs early, and they've just they, – they, they haven't been hitting lately. They've scored 34 in their last eight coming – you know, going through the weekend. Then they only scored one against uh, Nevada, so that's 35 in their last nine games. As we record this, they're – playing Nevada again and they have scored a bunch early but again it's the second midweek game like what what kind of arms is Nevada throwing tonight what do you still have left if Oregon State doesn't figure out this offense it's a real concern Uh, their pitching has been really good to this point they rank like top 10 in the country in ERA but they need those bats to to turn it around Gavin Turley had an offer on the weekend Travis Bazana wasn't much better. Um, those are two supposed to be two of the best hitters in that Oregon State lineup, even if they are, you know, younger players. Turley's just a freshman, but they uh, the Beavers really need those guys to to get back on track. 
Yeah, I agree. And and just looking at their last three games, um, I think that they've scored maybe I think it's maybe even five runs in their last three games in, in looking at their schedule. I'd have to go back and double check. No, that, that's correct. Yeah, their offense is a real concern. Um, like you said, it might it might be a little unfair to to talk about Gavin Turley and kind of expect him to have this huge role as a true freshman, but I guess that's kind of the curse aspect of the blessing and a curse of him being a blue chip recruit coming onto campus and and kind of being that immediate impact guy so they need him to start hitting bazana i i know he's one of my he's a cheese ball for me he's a he's a guy i'm i'm a huge fan of um but you know they they kind of they need to start kind of i think just finding more impact and hitting for more power they've They've only hit 20 home runs as a team. Um, it, it, they just kind of – I don't really know I, I, what it is, but I, I'm just with you that the offense has got to start figuring it out. Um, I, they've got some nice pieces, obviously, with Mason Garrett, Garrett Forrester, Bazana. The, the talent is there. They just need to start producing. So I think that whoever takes this weekend series, that's going to kind of kickstart a, a nice little run for either team. And then – for whoever comes out of it, the loser, I guess you just kind of have to do damage control and 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 right the ship really fast because we're kind of out of the time frame where you can chalk things up to being early in the season and 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 teams start figuring stuff or and teams are still figuring it out because if you're not figuring it out by the third week in March, then um, that might just be who you are as a team. Yeah, we're definitely getting late early here. Um... You know, there's still time to correct. Like I said, there's time to correct the mistakes uh, at this point. The, you know, time to fix the resumes, I guess, as it as it were. But yeah, if if you at this point in the season kind of are showing certain things, uh, particularly if you're not dealing with injuries in in, you know, everybody has them at, at some point in the season. But if you're not expecting uh, you know, to get some player back and that that'll fix things for you. Like you, you might just be who you are at this point. We are, we are getting to that point in the season. Uh, before we move on, let's just acknowledge what USC and, and Washington state did. Like they did actually have to go out and win these games. Uh, it wasn't just that they got handed the wins. Washington state particularly is interesting to me. They are 13 and two on the season. They have a three eleven team ERA, which, as of Wednesday, was 17th nationally, third in the Pac-12 behind UCLA and Oregon State. And, you know, maybe this is unfair because you know, Brian Green, their, their head coach, has a, a great background as a hitting coach. As, uh, you know, he taught or, uh, you know, he, he's been a, a great teacher for, for hitters over the years. He had Nick Gonzalez at New Mexico State a few years ago before he came to Wazoo. And uh, so I just assume that his teams are going to hit and like they're going to do it based on their offense. But right now, uh, Washington State off to the best start in program history and they're doing it on the mound. Now, prior to playing Oregon State, the competition had been not great, but it is what it is. And, you know, that that. Winning at in Corvallis, something they hadn't done since like 2009, like that, that's a pretty big sense of validation, kind of regardless of what the bulk of the schedule has been to this point. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, they're, 
I picked the the other Washington team as my Omaha sleeper, and uh, I'm not rethinking my pick. But this is a team that, again, sort of similar to Boston College, they didn't come into this year with lofty expectations. No one was really expecting them to to do certainly not this. Um, but it's been on the mound. Caden Kilber's been outstanding. He's got a 2.16 ERA as the leader of that rotation. 35 Ks and 25 innings pitched while holding hitters to a to a batting average of 198, opposing hitters to a batting average of 198. And then Grant Taylor, who was a guy, not LSU's Grant Taylor, unfortunately, um, but Grant Taylor was a guy I saw this summer who was really good, and then he's carried that over into this spring. Um, you look up and down the bullpen, Chase Grillo's been good. Um, Andrew Bond has been lights out as their late inning guy. Um, so their, their pitching staff is going to keep them in a lot of games and is built for Pac-12 baseball, which is so pitching heavy. Um, so they're going to be able to pitch and go toe-to-toe with the majority of the teams in the conference. And they're hitting a pretty respectable 290 as a team. The Portland transfer, Sam Brown, leading the charge with a, a gaudy 415 batting average and five home runs, leading the team in most of their statistical categories. But Jonah Avancula has been a good story. Um, Cam McGee, a transfer from Arizona State, has been a nice addition to them, hitting 340, 354. Um, they did have a little bit of a hiccup yesterday. They lost to San Francisco, ironically enough, 14-8. Uh, actually, that was earlier this afternoon. They lost to San Francisco, 14-8. So a little bit of a hiccup for a team that was kind of floating around the top 25, but you know, they can easily cancel that out with another Pac-12 series win against Oregon. There's not going to be – in the Pac-12, just kind of like the ACC and SEC, there's really not a, a series you can kind of walk into and expect to win. So um, I'm excited for what's ahead for them, and, and it'll be a, it, it, really interesting times up in Pullman. USC, meanwhile, um, is not off to a scorching start. They, they started the year by sweeping Marist, and – uh, those were three wins, and then they went two six and one uh, over their next uh, stretch before the start of of Pac twelve play, and you know so they did not come into this series against Stanford hot, um, and then they kind of had to piece it together a little bit against uh, against the Cardinal. They they won in a couple different ways. Uh, they they kind of outslugged Stanford in, in the second game, winning ten to seven, and then they held Stanford to just one run. Uh, in the in the finale in, in a four one win, if you look at, at USC, it's not like they like again. Unlike Washington State, they don't have like one standout side of the ball. They're just kind of still working some things out under a first year coach. Um, they used twelve pitchers in the series because their starters only went thirteen innings combined. So, I you know they, they are clearly still working some things out, but they have already shown that they can hang with some of the the better teams out there like. Whatever Stanford is, I, I still think Stanford's a really good team. And um, USC had gone to Auburn earlier in the year, and uh, they lost twice and tied one of those games. But you know, the Friday game was a two-run game, and you know, there's a tie in there. So it's not like Auburn just completely blew them out. I, I think there's a lot to like about the future for the Trojans. I don't know how much the present is going to continue to reflect this, but on the other hand, like I didn't think they were going to go beat Stanford in a series. So big weekend at Cal. That's another great opportunity for USC to win some games. Cal got swept at Arizona uh, last week. And 
you know, their hot start seems to be fading a little bit. Uh, and then these two teams are on a collision course because they, they play uh, Washington State in, in two weeks, and then they, they have Utah uh, on the road. So USC has an opportunity to really build some momentum coming off of that series. Uh, I, I'm going to be very curious to see whether they can do it. Yeah, and and like you said, they're not the thirteen and three that Washington State is, but they're a very respectable seven and seven. They hung with Auburn for the entire series. They lost a kind of a spot game uh, at UCLA, five to three. They aren't getting blown out, and they're in all of these ball games. Um, and Coach Stankiewicz was a was a great hire for them. And I think even if it might not be this year where they turn that corner, um, I'm confident in saying at some point in the next few years. They're going to get back to being a really competitive team in the Pac-12. I think that they're set up and they're in a really good spot. But um, they're they're hitting well as a team. Austin Overn's a really intriguing guy to me, the true freshman outfielder. He's got seven triples on the year. I don't. I'm not sure of the exact stats, um, but I'd be shocked if that's probably not leading the country. And he also plays football, so he's a super good athlete. He's kind of the table setter at the top of their lineup. Um, playing center field for him. And then kind of the veteran presence of Cole Gabrielson has been great. Um, Ethan Hedges and Nick Lopez. And then they've got an interesting pitching staff too. Um, Jaden Agassi is the son of Andre Agassi, tennis legend, um, which is a cool story. And then uh, Eric Hammond was was, um, a guy that they sorely missed last year. Um, He was out for the season with an injury. And he's come back and has been, he's been fine, but, this past weekend against Stanford was his, I think, coming out party. He went four innings, didn't allow an earned run, and struck out six. So, like you said, I'd be really interested to see how these teams match up against each other, especially if they can each win their respective series this weekend, because I think that whoever comes out on top you know, next weekend, you can kind of officially declare maybe the official – thorn in the other teams of the Pac-12 side or Pac-12 dark horse, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I think that they will be two very interesting teams going forward. Absolutely. And uh, maybe that uh, series in two weeks will have more, more on it than uh, we ever would have projected uh, coming into the year. So something, something to keep an eye on out West. Uh, all right. We're going to turn our attention to, The start of the SEC slate, Uh, SEC begins conference play this weekend, some really exciting games and series. Uh, So we're going to take a a tour of the conference here uh, in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, like I mentioned, the SEC begins conference play this weekend. A couple really exciting series open it up on Thursday. You've got Ole Miss visiting Vanderbilt and Alabama going to Florida. Uh, The rest of the slate begins on Friday. And you've got Mississippi State at Kentucky, South Carolina at Georgia, Tennessee and Missouri, Auburn at Arkansas and LSU taking on AM. A lot of different storylines here. Peter, I guess let's start with that series in Nashville. You got a lot of questions being asked right now about Vanderbilt. Um, that's natural. It's Vanderbilt. It's a team that one of the biggest brands, one of the biggest programs in college baseball right now. Um, as you noted, before we hit record, they're 13 and five. No team in the SEC has more losses right now than Vanderbilt. And Mississippi State is also 13 and five, but no team has more losses in the SEC than Vanderbilt. I would submit that they've probably played the toughest schedule of any team in the SEC. Uh, they played a series against UCLA. They went to the tournament in Arlington on opening weekend. They played the tournament in Minnesota, which wasn't like elite scheduling but it was certainly better than a lot of what other teams have done to this point uh for like the third best weekend that that you have on on your schedule so i'm not going to get too hung up on the the record i know some people are because you see five losses attached to vanderbilt at this point and it's it's loud um i'm not going to worry too much about that what i do want to talk about though peter is the offense because we expected Vanderbilt to pitch. Vanderbilt is pitching. We expected them to have offensive questions, and Vanderbilt has some serious offensive questions. So, at this point, what do you think is uh, what do you think is real with Vanderbilt, and, and how concerned do you think people should be with uh, with the way Vanderbilt's hitting the baseball? 
I think the pitching is absolutely as good as it is on paper and what the numbers show. We were really bullish on them coming into the year as a pitching staff, both as a starting rotation and then out of the bullpen. I think Bryce Cunningham especially has been a bit of a revelation out of the bullpen and kind of that bridge three to four inning role because you can kind of piggyback him however you see fit with a starter that goes five innings, six innings, and and just use two guys to win yourself a ball game. And we saw that against UCLA. Um, and then, like you said, the hitting, again, that was probably going to be the weakest point of them as a club, but I did not foresee them hitting 250 as a team 18 games into the season. And again, part of that is Vanderbilt, obviously, they always play a tough schedule. They had a series with UCLA. Cambria College Classic, they faced Nebraska and Minnesota and Maryland. Uh, Minnesota, obviously not super strong, but Maryland a ranked opponent at the time. Nebraska, a solid club. But I think that both are real to an extent. I think that the pitching is is what it is. Um, I think that they're an elite staff top to bottom. Um, It will keep them in most, if not every, ball game. Um, And I think that the hitting is a little light, but I don't think it's as light as it's showing. I think that guys like Enrique Bradfield will pick it up. Jonathan Vastine, who's been slumping severely the last couple of weeks, I think he'll pick it up. Um, and then I, they really need production from, I think, one of maybe like one and a half of, if one of these guys can keep it up, is Calvin Hewitt, Davis Diaz, or Parker Noland. Um, I think Hewitt last year was a key piece for them. Um, he was great in kind of a limited sample size. And this year he's just, um, he's been, he's been pretty marginal through 43 at bats hitting just 186. Um, so I think that, I mean, they're going to need more than just, I guess, RJ Shrek and the true fret, the two RJs, um, both on kind of the opposite sides of the age spectrum in grad transfer, RJ Shrek and in true freshman RJ Austin, I think they need a little bit more than just the RJs. Um, if they want to have success in SEC play. Um, and this weekend, heading down to, to, to Tupelo, to Swayze Field, um, it's kind of strength on strength. It's Vandy's pitching staff against Ole Miss's unbelievable high-powered lineup. And something's got to give. And I know Vanderbilt, with how they're, they're equipped right now, they're not going to be comfortable at all getting into a potential shootout with Ole Miss. Um, and a shootout for them, if – if Ole Miss hangs six or seven runs, uh, they're going to be in a good spot to to win, you know, each of the games this weekend. So, I'm really curious to see how this model of a team stacks up against Ole Miss, which is you know the cream of the college crop. So, I, I think that this weekend will kind of show if this model of extreme pitching and winning games relying on your pitching staff. Um, allowing four or five or less runs, how how much that might work. This is a fascinating matchup. You have Ole Miss, which is like you said, offensively, they're right up there with anyone you can you can want to put up against them in in the country. Kemp Alderman has eight home runs already. Like we know what Jacob Gonzalez is, Payne Chanier, we know what he is. Ethan Groff has been a huge addition, uh, as has Anthony Calarco. Like. This is a really, really deep lineup, and it's also not a very deep pitching staff, and they're missing their ace in Hunter Elliott, who is uh, still recovering from from his injury. So who is going to get to play their brand of baseball this weekend? And 
that's probably going to determine who wins the series because I cannot imagine that Vanderbilt is going to be able to keep up with Ole Miss. Uh, similarly, if uh, it comes to a battle of, say, the bullpens or something, like Ole Miss is going to have a real trouble, real problem with dealing with that, I think, uh, against this Vanderbilt pitching staff. So it, because of the contrasting styles, it, it is – it's maybe my favorite matchup of the weekend. Um, it, it it just has so many different ways that, that it could go. And I'm probably going to have to write at some point about, about this Vanderbilt situation with the way that they're building teams, because it is very interesting in this era of college baseball. Uh, home runs are way up this year, and that's not new to this year. That's That's been, it's been that way for the last few years. We've seen home runs increase and increase and increase. And I don't think Vanderbilt's made a switch. I, I think that they're still building their team the way that you would have built it five, six, ten years ago. And look, that has been super successful for Vanderbilt over the years. They've won a couple of national titles. They've gone to a couple more um, CWS finals. They've won an incredible number of games. But the pitching and defense model... Uh, and athleticism in the lineup being the primary factor, like if is that going to hold in an era where, again, the ball is just jumping and, and, and flying out of ballparks? Um, right now, Vanderbilt's zigging while a lot of other SEC teams are zagging, it feels like, and leaning more into the power. Uh, and this weekend is a, is a prime example of that. So I'm I'm really interested in that kind of storyline all season long, but but especially this weekend uh, as well. And you know, to a lesser degree, something similar is playing out in Gainesville. Now, Florida has an incredible pitching staff, uh, but they also have one of the better offenses in college baseball right now. And Alabama is more of a pitching and defense team. Their lineup is old, uh, experienced, and that's kind of what they're trying to hang their hat on. But again, uh, you know, it, it's it's not at the same level because we don't expect Alabama to to be at the same level that, that that Florida is. Whereas in Nashville, you have the reigning national champion against you know one of the most successful programs of the last decade of the twenty first century. It, it, it's it's a little bit lesser what, what's happening in Gainesville. But it, again, it is it is a similar contrast in that can you. How successful can you be, especially in the SEC, uh, right now if you're not going to hit for a bunch of power? Um, I feel like that's a something Florida has been kind of successful at over the years, but right now they're they're really mashing, starting with Jack Heglione. Yeah, I mean Florida is a team that you can kind of stick in that upper echelon um, with UVA, Wake Forest, Tennessee, Ole Miss. Um, LSU, obviously, and, and a couple of others there. I mean, offensively, they're hitting 348 as a team with 42 doubles and 45 home runs. Um, they'll be without Wyatt Langford with, for a little while with a lower body injury. But, I mean, true freshman Cade Curland, who could be a senior in high school right now if he wanted to, is off to a, a sizzling start. He's hitting 420 with six doubles and five home runs. Jack Caglione has been... I don't really know what else you can say about him at this point. He's hitting 408, leads the country with 13 home runs. I think he's third or fourth in RBIs with 30 um, off the mound. He's been up to 99 with a with a developing slider as their as their Sunday starter. 
Um, and then I think a huge reason and an underrated reason why they are where they are is the production of two veterans with Josh Rivera and BT Ryapel. Rivera, um, kind of, he, he's, he's been known to get off to hot starts before and then has been unable to sustain it, but we're now through 20 games. He's still hitting 390. Um, he's second on the team in home runs with eight. He actually leads the team in RBIs with 31. And then Raya Pell, when you can get a catcher like that, who's, I mean, he's great defensively, but for him to produce the way he has with the bat too, has been, has been great for coach O'Sullivan. So this is a lineup similar to kind of a wake and a, and a Virginia and an LSU where you can't really take a hitter off or kind of take a sigh of relief as a, as a pitcher where you're like, okay, few, you know, this guy's up. It's, it's one through nine and, and everyone can hit to, to some extent with impact. I think Michael Robertson's the only exception, but his profile is unique. His impact comes on the bases. Right. He's a 70 runner. He's not going to swing and miss. He's a slash and dash type player. Um, so they're, they're up and down. They're a super complete team. And then on the mound, um, they might not be as deep as kind of a, an elite pitching team like a UVA or a Wake Forest, but that rotation of Caglia of Sprout, Waldrip and Caglione, um, that's as, that's about as good as you can find in the country. I think that their question marks on the pitching staff come in the bullpen. Um, guys like Blake Purnell, who was really good last year has gotten hit a little bit. Um, Brandon Neely has been just okay. Same with Ryan Slater. Nick Ficarada is a guy that that I'm really intrigued by. He throws in multiple slots. Um, he's got a plus changeup. And then Cade Fisher, another true freshman, has been great. So they're kind of, I don't want to say anti-Vanderbilt um, mold in terms of a of kind of a team model, but they are great or doing a great job improving the hypothesis of kind of building a team on these bigger guys, these physical guys who can mash. And they're also hitting for average at the same time. So they've got a lot of good stuff going on. The other really intriguing series, the other series between two ranked teams is happening in uh, in College Station. That's LSU visiting AM. We've talked a lot about LSU over the course of the year. We're going to keep talking a lot about them. Again, I don't want to make them the focus of this. They're the number one team in the country for a reason. AM, however, is uh, is pretty intriguing to me right now. They're 13 and four coming out of uh out of out of the end of, of this non-conference portion. And I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it's all clicked. Uh and maybe that's because the offense hasn't gotten going yet as a team. They're hitting 279. Uh they have a few regulars that are really going like Hunter Haas uh transfer from Arizona State's leading the team in hitting, and Austin Bost, you would expect to hit, and Jack Moss, you you would expect to hit. They're hitting. Um, but otherwise, they're, they're still trying to figure some things out offensively, it feels like. Their pitching staff has been good, um, but are they ready for what's coming this weekend? Uh, you know, with uh, with the number one team in the country, that that is kind of the, the big question that that has to be answered for AM. But it's also not just about this weekend. You know, every week in the SEC is hard. Like let, let let's just acknowledge that right now, especially if you play in the SEC West. They're all hard. However, AM is dealing with home to LSU at Tennessee, home to Ole Miss uh coming up over the next three weeks. And in the middle of that is uh 
you know, a rivalry game against Texas. They also have a game against Rice. Um, so like the midweeks aren't even like terribly forgiving. Um, it's going to be really, really difficult three weeks coming up for AM, but we're going to find out everything we need to know about the Aggies basically over the next three weeks. I, I, right now I'm, I'm interested in learning. I, I just, I don't feel great about them knowing that that's what they're facing for the next three weeks. Yeah. Like you said, I guess I, I think we'll know for better or worse. Um, looking back in three weeks after this, I think even calling it a gauntlet would be, would be selling it short. I mean, it's, it's 11 or 12 games against obviously top eight national seeds. It's looking like with LSU, Ole Miss and Tennessee. And then it's, you have a midweek game against Texas, which no matter how bad Texas might be this year, um, it's a rivalry game. They're going to be up for that. It is not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. And then, to close it out, they have a midweek game on April the 4th looking way ahead against a quality Texas State team who seems to give all these Power 5 teams fits, and they're a quality team in their in their own right. And like you said, they we're going to find out quick um, what kind of team A&M is. Uh, Hunter Haas has been good. Bose has been good. Jack Moss has been good. But other than that, it's been it's been pretty minimal production. They've only hit 16 home runs as a team. Um, on the mound, they have a they have a really they have a nice one two punch with Detmer and Wansing. I'm curious to see how they do against LSU. I'm curious to see how a lot of people do against LSU. But um, Wansing's been great from the left side. 19 and two thirds innings, 33 Ks to six walks. Um, he's looking like a legit pro guy for 2024, like a top five round selection maybe. Nathan Detmer has been great. His fastball has been up to the high 90s. His slider's a plus pitch. Um, but against it, against the the teams in this nine game stretch, I they're going to need more than what they've been able to to put up. They're not going to kind of be able to afford to get into these like ten to seven games against Northern Kentucky or five to one against Houston. Um, they're I, I mean they're going to have to really hit another gear and fast. And then on the flip side with LSU, we don't really. I don't want to like sell LSU short because what they're doing is they came into the season with probably the highest expectations for a team that I can remember in recent memory. Um, and they've, they've somehow lived up to that, maybe even exceeded it. They are mercy ruling teams left and right. Um, and it's not the best teams, but also Samford has been a quality team um, in the past. And again, I'm, I'm curious to see how, Kind of, they, this is their first real test of the year, though. Um, they're one, the best team they faced was Iowa, and they lost twelve to four. So, I'm curious to see what this team looks like against a really quality SEC team on the road. Um, it seems like everything is going right for the Tigers after that loss um, against Iowa. That was kind of their wake up call, and so they're playing really good baseball as a team. Um, so this is going to be. I will learn. I think we'll learn a lot about each of the teams. Um, I think we'll definitely learn more about AM and kind of if this eight game win streak that they've been on, if it's for real and if they can maybe hang with these big dogs in the SEC. But um, I'm also a little interested to see how LSU does in their first real test. I, I do think it's great that LSU has to go on the road this weekend because, you know, they are so hyped. There is so much expectation around them. Um, 
this is something that every opposing fan base is going to be really up for. And obviously the, the atmosphere in college station can be really tough on opposing teams. The, the way the ballpark's built, like the fans are almost right on top of you. It can certainly feel that way. Sometimes they've got the great ball four chance going. They've got, it's, it's a special place. And, LSU now has to contend with that, and they haven't really had to do that a lot this year. They played a midweek game at Texas, but you know that big, te- the, the the big best game that they've they've played or best opponent that they've played was you know a neutral site game with Iowa, and you know it's just different um, when you have to go to College Station, when you have to go to Fayetteville, when you have to go to Starkville. So we're going to get to see how LSU responds to that, and and I think that's the most important thing to see how LSU does this weekend is is how they react to to that environment to the pressure uh to the the you know just the the, the fans and, and and how they're going to get on them this weekend Arkansas very quietly I feel like has uh run off a 15 and 2 record I don't think that there's been a whole lot of Arkansas discussion uh really anywhere since opening weekend when they were in Arlington they swept Louisiana Tech last weekend. Uh, that's a quality regional caliber opponent. Um, and unlike AM, like an awful lot is going right for, for Arkansas when you look at it. Like Jasper Hoffman, who I thought was going to have a great year last year after he transferred from Oklahoma. Well, he's having that this year. He's he's setting 436 right now to lead the team. Jared Wagner, their transfer from Creighton, is hitting eight home runs. Like Everything that you would expect to happen with Arkansas, like, oh, they hit on a transfer in Jared Wagner and Tavian Josenberger. Oh, like Jace Berhoffen has taken a step forward. Of, of course he has. And, and Pan Stovall, too. And like, oh, well, they lost their their presumed opening day starter before the season. Well, no problem. Like, have you seen what Hunter Holland has done coming over from junior college? And like their pitching staff hasn't even hit its full stride yet, I don't think, because Zach Morris isn't going and uh you know, Brady Tigert has uh, has been banged up, but uh, this is this is a team that looks like they're rolling. They get Auburn coming in to to bomb Walker this weekend, and uh, that'll be an intriguing series. But I, I just wanted to shout out Arkansas right now because I've I've been very impressed. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I think it's the quietest fifteen and two start or hot start in general in the country. You kind of, you know, you look up and you see them at fifteen and two, and you're you're like, how did it happen? Well. I mean, you explained it perfectly. Jace Borfin's been, I think, just a year late on what everyone thought he was going to do. Kendall Diggs is another sophomore who's really stepped up. Um, he was he had a pretty modest 2022, but second on the team with six home runs, second on the team in RBIs with 20. Um, Wiggins was a was viewed as a super tough blow to the pitching staff, as is would anyone of his caliber. And it was kind of like, okay, how are they going to adapt to this? Who's going to fill in? Hagen Smith's been outstanding. Hunter Holland's been been just as good um and like you said once they get brady tiger back and some of these other guys start to pitch to kind of their i I guess full ability um you're looking at kind of a classic coach van horn arkansas team where they are firmly in the omaha discussion they'll be talked about as a as a national title contender and then not to look ahead a little bit they they head to the box next weekend in what will be a really really um a big time series yeah i since you brought that up like a lot's being made of what a&m has uh you know we just talked about it 
but how about if you're LSU, you have to go to A&M, then you have Arkansas, then you have Tennessee. Like, uh, it's not easy for anyone out there. Um, but yeah, I, I very, very impressed by what the Hogs have, uh, have been able to do. They, they lost just that one game opening weekend and, and just one game since. And otherwise it's, uh, they're just rolling right along and the competition has been pretty solid. Um, you know, like I said, Louisiana tech, that's an annual regional team at this point under Lane Burroughs and Wright state isn't the best team you can face, but also, you know, they know a lot, they know how to win a bunch of games. They're the horizon leagues powerhouse. So, uh, impressed with Arkansas. The last series I wanted to touch on here, Peter is, um, South Carolina going to Georgia. South Carolina is a team that we have ranked in the top 25. Georgia, we do not. I've been generally impressed by South Carolina. Uh, we talked some about how they beat Clemson and and how it, they're crushing baseballs and, and all the rest of that. Georgia has, uh, has hit really well this year. They've found a way on the mound. I probably... You know, I don't. I don't know that I have a good feel for Georgia right now, and so that's kind of why I'm very intrigued by this weekend. When you know, I think we're going to learn about a lot about both of these teams. South Carolina comes in at 17 and one, and it's not the best schedule that they've gone 17 and one against. But they went out there and they've won the games, and now they have a tricky road series in Athens. Yeah, I I think with South Carolina, we can safely say they're for real. Um, I think we'll find out over the next three weeks. They don't necessarily have the gauntlet like a team that texas a&m has they they go to georgia which will be a tough series but then they get missouri at home and then they head off to the dude at mississippi state before it really picks up so they have a chance here to to really bolster their record and i think we'll find out if they're like top eight national seed for real like host for real or kind of a really strong two seed for real um but like you said they're just mashing baseballs left and right the the lineup top to bottom has been i mean it's been unbelievable ethan petrie as you know he's hitting 450 with six jacks cole messina true freshman eight home runs and leads the team in rbis with 28 braylon wimmers off to a hot start i could kind of go up and down their lineup and list all of them but they're a complete team though i mean on the mound they've been great um noah hall especially has been outstanding um, as has James Hicks, Eli Jones, Eli Jerzenbeck. Um, and they're, they're a really, really strong ball club. And Georgia, like you said, they're, they're kind of murky to me. I don't really know what to make of them yet. Um, they had a, I think Wofford's a really good team and they might get unfairly knocked for, um, or I mean, they, they, then they took down Wofford, which I think is a better win than people will give them credit for. Um, they, Redshirt freshman Charlie Condon has been unconscious. So has fifth year senior Connor Tate. They're each hitting above 500 um, with eight and seven home runs, respectively. So, I this is a very sneaky series. I think is is what I'm viewing it as. Um, Jaden Woods has really picked it up since his first start, which didn't go great. And then Liam Sullivan has just been lights out the whole year. So. Um, I'm curious to see how the Bulldogs do in a, in a, in a pretty big test for them. And then I'm also curious to see how South Carolina does, I think to a lesser extent than like an LSU where we kind of know what LSU is like, but this is South Carolina's first real test and a tough one at that as they go to Georgia. So, um, if they can win another series in kind of commanding fashion, then, 
um, that's going to be a pretty big statement from the Gamecocks. All right, let's flip it to the Big 12 here. Um, the highlight of opening weekend of, of Big 12, of the soft opening weekend of, of Big 12 baseball is Oklahoma State going to Texas Tech. Uh, the Cowboys actually have the longest active winning streak in the country right now. Texas Tech is coming off of a strong series win against Iowa. I mean, I don't want to call anything like Big 12 title deciding in March, and obviously TCU is going to have something to say about that and, and you know maybe some other teams. But, but this one, this one's massive. Um, it's kind of ridiculous that this is the first week of, of conference play. Um, whoever, I don't know how the Big 12 makes their schedule. I'm sure they use some sort of computer that spits things out randomly. Uh, somebody in the Big 12 office should have told the computer to try again. Uh, this, this should not be being played on in the middle of March. But here we are, and it is being played in the middle of March, and it's two of the Big 12 contenders, two of the best teams in the Big 12. And Texas Tech is uh, is in a great spot. Uh, we talked last week about them being in a weird place, coming off of that uh, that weekend in, in Houston and how they needed a, a, a response and, and do something against Iowa. Well, guess what? They did it. And they also served a reminder that winning in Lubbock is really hard. And that's what Oklahoma State's going to have to try and do this weekend. Um, if they want to win a Big 12 title, like, kind of has to start here. And uh, it's unfortunate for them that it has to start on the road in Lubbock, but uh, it is what it is, and they're going to be putting the, the nation's longest winning streak on the line. Yeah, and these were two teams we were we were, we had, I, I wouldn't want to say concerns um, about. I mean, Oklahoma State got off to a 3-3 three and three start, and they were sitting at 3-3. Three and three after losing the loyal. Oh, I was concerned. I'll, I'll say it. I was concerned. <laughs> so at, after that, it was kind of like, okay, Oklahoma state's 500. They lost 18 to one against Arkansas. Vanderbilt hung 11 runs on them, which now um, that's a very interesting result. Um, but again, they've ripped off 20 straight wins. They dismantled, a, a re, I think a really solid Dallas Baptist team in seven innings. Last night I was really kind of like, okay, this is, we might be getting the Oklahoma state that I think we both expected coming into this year. Um, and they've, they've just ran through opponents. Um, Nolan Schubart, the true freshman has been as advertised. I, I don't think as advertised would even do him justice. I think he's been unbelievable. He's sitting four twenty four, six home runs, 24 RBIs, um, veteran catcher chase Adkisson has been great. Um, they've gotten production up and down their lineup, and this is with also like Marcus Brown hasn't been even hitting that well. So if they can get him going, that offense becomes even more formidable. Um, Carson Benj has also been great. And then they've also pitched really well, spearheaded by Jerron Watts-Brown, who's who's taken on that Friday night role and, and really ran with it. Isaac Stevens out of the bullpen has been – they've really leaned on him for quality innings. He's a guy who's – can not just save for you and with one inning or he can go, you know, two, three or four innings from that really tough submarine slot and guys that throw in that slot, you can roll them out and in, in two nights in a row, three games in a row sometimes. And, and they've, they've done that. And then Nolan McLean obviously has, has shown his prowess on both sides of the baseball. Um, so they're looking great. And then tech, obviously, like you said, it is super tough to win in Lubbock between it being a launch pad for hitters and then just a hostile environment in general. 
Um, this is going to be, I, like you said, I wish this was being played in, in like mid-April or May, but um, we kind of just have to, to take it as, as the Big 12 dictates the schedule. But they're a team that's been hitting at an unbelievable pace. Gavin Cash is hitting, I think now, 487. He went four for five again today, today being Wednesday with a home run. Veteran outfielder Dylan Carter is hitting 400. Kevin Bazell, a transfer, is also hitting 320. True freshman Gage Harrelson, 364. Pitching staff led by Mason Molina, left-handed pitcher. He's he's struck out 31 and in 20 innings pitch. He's a he's a great left-handed pitcher. Um, so this is going to be, like you said, I I don't want to call it a, like a de facto I, I, like Big 12 championship game by any Big 12 championship series by any stretch of the imagination, but. I think that the winner of this series can kind of come out and call themselves the the team to beat at this point in the Big 12. Oklahoma State has beaten Texas Tech in a series. Uh, has not been Texas Tech in a series since 2017. Uh, so that's four straight series wins for Texas Tech. Uh, they were lost once in that time. So they, they, swept, they swept the Cowboys three times. Um, they've gone 11 and one in, in the last four years in the regular season against Texas Tech, or against Oklahoma state. Uh, there also is a super regional in there somewhere that Texas tech won. So like this is uh, not only is it, is it tough for any team to win in Lubbock uh, right now? It, it sure feels like tech has Oklahoma state's number. And uh, yeah, so I, that, that makes it all the, all the harder. And like, you know who knows how much that plays into this this year. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about how um, the, the the super regional was in 2019. Like n- nobody nobody's here that that remembers that really, right? So like the, the players are all different. But Texas Tech is going to have plenty of reasons to feel confident going into this weekend, and and Oklahoma State will too, considering how well they've been playing and how well they've been pitching, particularly. Um, and the offense is, has come alive, like you said. So. Uh, very intriguing uh, uh, series, but the Cowboys are going against uh, an awful lot of bad recent history that they're trying to erase. And I'm sure they'll be trying not to think about that, but I'm also sure that the Texas Tech fans will be trying to remind them of that all weekend long. All right. Uh, also in the Big 12, we've got TCU heading to Oklahoma. Uh, now, TCU is one of the most confusing teams in the country. Uh, they have some great results. They beat uh, both uh, Arkansas and Vanderbilt on opening weekend, and they have some very confusing results. Uh, that's how you get a nine and seven record. Oklahoma slow start. They uh, you know, lost a series to California Baptist on opening weekend. Uh, they lost a couple more games in, in the first couple of weeks. They, they lost to Abilene Christian, and, and they lost a Friday night game to Ryder. Uh, so not the not the most auspicious start for the Sooners coming off of their. Uh, CWS finals appearance. They were two and four at one point, uh, but they've really righted the ship and, and run off a bunch of wins since. So they come in at, at 11 and five. They have home field advantage this weekend. It, it's, it's an intriguing series and I don't know what to make of Oklahoma uh, at this point in the year. Um, so I'm looking forward to learning some uh, th- this week and, and TCU going on the road. They haven't had like a true road weekend yet. They've, Went down to play in Houston uh, in the, the the tournament, the, the Shriners tournament. But, you know, that's also neutral site stuff that this is their first true road environment. And um, 
in a weekend series. So I'm intrigued to see how they handle that. Yeah, that's a, uh, I think that's a good under the radar series. Um, TCU, I think really needs a series win. Um, and I think it would be a, a nice quality one to go down or I guess to go up to Norman and beat Oklahoma, who they're a little bit like Georgia to me. I don't really, I, I'm not sure what to make of them. Um, freshman catcher Easton Carmichael has been outstanding. So is Sam Houston State transfer Anthony McKenzie. They're each hitting over 400 in the early going. Um, I know that they really want a guy like John Spikerman to get going. He was a guy that coming into this season I was super excited about. He's a 70 runner, um, really good bat-to-ball skills. Um, he's hit the ball hard. It's just nothing's falling. He's he's hitting 160 to start the year. Um, and then on the mound, uh, they've, they've been – They've been fine. Um, their starting rotation has been, I think, pretty modest um, with, you know, Braxton Duthit and, and Kale Davis um, up at the top. But um, I think that TCU, you know, you mentioned them sitting at nine and seven. Yes, they've played a tough schedule, but, you know, nine and seven is nine and seven. And I think a series loss this weekend with them, you know, that would have them sitting at 10 and nine or even worse, at nine and 10. Um, I think that puts them in a really precarious spot as they get into Big 12 play. They've get they've got Kansas next weekend, um, and I think that they're they're in an inter, they're in a good spot here to potentially really kickstart their season. If they can win a series against Oklahoma, they then have five game or six games against Abilene Christian, Northwestern, a series at Kansas against Kansas, and they go to UT Arlington before taking on Texas Tech and. I think it's huge for them to build some momentum heading into that Texas Tech series where they'll then face Oklahoma State. So um, I think this series has big implications for them going forward. Um, it just kind of it's just going to depend on which direction they take their season. Yeah, I mean, they, they lost on Tuesday to Texas State, and that's a tough road team to, 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 to take on. And um you know, Texas State's a, a team that could very well end up in regionals again this year. But, yeah, they just haven't been able to build any momentum at any point this season. They they get off to that incredible start. They beat Vanderbilt and Arkansas uh, first two games of the season. And then they, you know, get up big on Missouri and can't hold the lead. Uh, and that, that that's just opening weekend. That's how the whole season has gone, basically, for the Frogs. You do something great, and then you can't build on it. Um, you know, even if you're feeling good coming out of that weekend, uh, you know, having been Vanderbilt in Arkansas, like, okay, then you lose a series to Florida state and like, it it just keeps, you know, you, you, you do one thing and then here comes a loss or they have to find some consistency basically is, is the, the issue. And I think it's important that they start building that now. Um, because like you said, the, it gets tougher from here. Um, so uh, an important weekend for, for TCU and for Oklahoma both as, uh, as they both start conference play. Uh, the only other Big 12 series this week is uh, K-State and Baylor. And Baylor is shockingly bad right now. Um, that's been a program that's been relatively consistent in recent years. But uh, the Bears are really fighting it. A lot more going on around the country this weekend. You got the Sun Belt opening play. You got some... Very interesting series, uh, you know, el- elsewhere through, throughout college baseball. Um, a lot to uh, to keep track of, and you can do that over at BaseballAmerica.com. We'll have you covered on, uh, you know, the big series, the small series, everything in between. 
uh, as, uh, as, as we come up uh, uh, on the, the fifth weekend of college of college baseball season here uh, this weekend. So you can follow us at baseballamerica.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ted Cahill. You can follow Peter at, oh, wait, there it is, Peter G. Flaherty. I, uh, I opened the wrong document for a second, but there it was. I wrote it down this time. Uh, now we're so in season four. We're, we're rolling now, almost. We're, 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 we're almost at mid-season four. Uh, so again, I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter's at Peter G. Flaherty. Uh, and we'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast in whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us and hit that follow or subscribe button. And we'll come at you uh, once a week here throughout the the college baseball season. Uh, we're, we're very, very excited to do so. Um you know, usually Millie's very excited to do so as well. Again, she is off this week, so we, we are missing her presence on the podcast. But Peter and I were happy to be able to uh, to to pick up the slack this week and, and, and run with it. And hopefully you all uh, enjoyed it as well. Until next week, for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.